tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. And welcome to episode two of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Hi there, my name is Sean Engel, and of course, I am joined as always by my good friend and co host, Mr. Michael, Michael Bradley. Hey, Michael. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we need to we need to work this out how we're going to do this anyway. But uh, I, I'm hoping that you well, enjoyed we're, our we're last. We're for two now, so at least we're consistent. Well, that's good. You know, <laughs> we're. We're succeeding at failure. Hooray. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be continuing our look at the uh, Tangent Comics universe. And this time out, we're going to be looking at the technically the second book in the uh, trade or the second book in the line, the storyline of the Tangent Comics universe. We're going to be taking a look at the Metal Man comic uh, written by Ron Mars, a person who's very dear to my heart in comic books and with art by Mark McCone. We haven't really had a chance to get any email or feedback for the uh, podcast yet, but we hope that people were listening and we hope that you enjoyed our first episode where we covered the Adam comic. I definitely had fun talking about it. What about you, Michael? Yeah, it, it was a really great start to the series and I'm looking forward to hearing what the listeners think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll have the uh, outro that'll tell you where you can get in touch with us, and you can check us out on Facebook as well. Uh, we'll be posting uh, images and stuff about the uh, comics up there as well. So, And also check out um, Mike's blog at greatcrypton.com for uh, postings in the show as well. So, But um, do you want to go ahead and start off, and we'll just go dive right into the, uh, to the issue? Sure. Uh, we've got a very different issue on tap this time. Um, like Sean said last episode, we looked at The Atom, which was a pretty much a straight-up superhero book. But this time we are very much on the human level with a, uh, a gritty war title, looking at a, a story set deep in the heart – well, I was going to say deep in the heart of the Vietnam War, but I guess it takes place technically in, in this – um, in, in this universe, right at the end of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time out, we're looking at Tangent Comics Metal Men, which is a number one, like all the Tangent issues. And this has uh, a cover date of December 1997 and was released on October 1st of that year for $2.95. The cover is by Mark, uh, Mike McCone and Mark McKenna, and a story is titled Secrets and Lies. And if you heard last episode, you'll remember that that story was titled Truth. And if you didn't hear that episode, well, why not? We've only had two episodes, so it's go listen to it. Um, 
but the the credits are Ron Mars Story, Mike McCone Pencils, Mark McKenna with Mick Gray Inks, Chris Chuck Recolors, Chris Eliopoulos Letters, Frank Berrios Assistant, Dana Curtin Associate, Eddie Braganza Editor, Special thanks to Bob Almond, Aaron McClellan, Joe Staten, and Arlene Lowe. Tangent, based on concepts by Dan Jurgens. And I think that credits list is actually longer than my synopsis. <laughs> uh, but to get into the, into the story, while protests outside the White House grow heated, inside the Oval Office, President Sam Schwartz is met by Lori Lamaris, reporter for World's Finest. As the magazine covers heroes, Lori wants to talk about Schwartz's military career particularly the last mission of the Metal Man, the one that ended the war. Through Schwartz's narration, we learned that in the Tangent universe, Vietnam ended when Ho Chi Minh was executed in mid-1968, leaving Czechoslovakia as the last front. The Soviets overran the country, unleashing a chemical attack called Red Tornado. And after much fighting and many casualties, the resistance captured an undetonated Red Tornado warhead, and the Metal Men were sent in to retrieve it. The Metal Men is a U.S. special ops team consisting of six men. Carl Walter, a.k.a. Gravedigger, who is a tech and communications guru. Ray Quinones, a.k.a. Lobo, a Cuban native who moved, to the, who moved from the country only a month before it was nuked. Francis Powell, a.k.a. Black Lightning, who lost his family when Florida was, was nuked while he was training up at West Point. John Holliday, a.k.a. Hawkman, whose family's military legacy dates back to the Civil War, Marcus Moore, the group's commander, and young Lieutenant Sam Schwartz. So while they're waiting for their contact, they are hit by an attack of Soviet troops, who corner them in a building. The fighting is fast, furious, and brutal, with the Metal Men thinking they've been set up. Ultimately, though, the Metal Men get the upper hand when Moore detonates a grenade inside a Soviet tank. Unfortunately, one last Soviet soldier gets the jump on Schwartz with a rifle to his head. Before the gunman can pull the trigger, though, the gunman himself gets a bullet to the head, courtesy of the surprise arrival of the group's contact, who introduces herself as Raven. Still thinking the group's been set up, Moore is suspicious, but eventually relents, rather reluctantly, when Schwartz tells him they really don't have much other choice. Raven then leads the group to Hell, the underground network of tunnels, sewers, and basements used as safe haven by the Resistance. They meet the young girl who, along with her dog Pooch, found the warhead, accidentally exposing herself to the agent in the process, as well as other members of the Resistance who, overall, are in pretty bad shape. After more suspicions from Moore and disagreements between him and Schwartz, Raven takes the group to an underground tomb where the warhead is being stored. Gravedigger checks it out and finds it still operational. And it's at this point that Moore informs the group that he wants to rewire the warhead, firing it and depositing it directly on the Kremlin's front porch, which would effectively end the war. The untold civilian casualties this will cause splits the group in half with Schwartz, Lobo, and Hawkman being against it, and Gravedigger and Black Lightning being okay with following their commander's orders, despite the moral implications. The group's infighting is heated but short-lived, as the group is hit by another raid of Soviet soldiers. The close-quarters fight is long, bloody, and brutal, and when the smoke clears, none of the metal men have gotten through unscathed. 
with Gravedigger, Lobo, Hawkman, and Black Lightning all badly injured. Moore goes back to reconfiguring the warhead, which leads to a standoff at gunpoint with Schwartz. While Schwartz is unable to pull the trigger on his friend, Moore isn't so reluctant, but is shot himself by Raven before he can do so, dying in Schwartz's arms. While we see that the official account tells that Moore was killed by a Soviet soldier, back in the present, Schwartz tells that Moore's body was left behind, out of necessity, and the warhead was brought safely back to U.S. territory, where it was used as a bargaining chip to end the war. In the years that followed, Schwartz married Raven, who is now known as Martina, and entered politics, ultimately becoming president, and Holiday, a.k.a. Hawkman, serves as the president's chief of staff. Quinones, a.k.a. Lobo, was left partially paralyzed after a car accident and is among the protesters outside the White House. Meanwhile, Walters and Powell faded from the public eye, becoming part of the shadow group known as Nightwing. And the issue ends with the president and first lady alone, reflecting on the past and wondering what would have happened if things turned out differently, all the while being unknowingly watched by a still-alive and badly-scarred Marcus Moore, now leader of Nightwing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, for for what essentially is a war comic, and I, I will admit I don't have as many notes as I did for the last episode Same on here. this comic, but this is just a really great read. And again, they've gotten some really talented writers. Uh, as you know, I do a Green Lantern podcast dealing with uh, the character of Guy, uh, Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. And Kyle Rayner predominantly was written for most of his early run by Ron Mars, the person who's writing this book. And I love Ron Mars as a writer, and he gets to do some really great stuff in this. Plus, um, Mike McCone on the artist. Oh, Mike McCone. The first time I encountered him was in the uh, Parallax uh, – what is it? The Final Night Parallax story. And he did the artwork for that. And his artwork is just beautiful. It is crisp. It is clean. Uh, he's very detailed. It's He's got a lot of stuff going on in the, in the art. I just it, – it's a great combination here, of again, of story and art that just completely sells the book. And there's so – again, there's so much seeding of things going on that – relate to the entirety of this tangent universe that again if you're only reading this one title could easily be skipped over but if you're reading it in the entirety make the universe a much greater and much more nuanced place to to read about and to be a part of right and even though the books are completely different and dealing with completely different subject matters it dovetails really well with the atom issue because you've got you know president schwartz and mm-hmm. you've got references to the metal man and and in that book you had references to the metal man and in this one you get you get you know a reference or two to the first atom and you know where he's at during all this and mm-hmm. and you get really references amazing. To, to Captain Comet, which we'll be dealing with the, uh, later, and you get uh, your references again to Nightwing, the, sh- the shadowy organization, which we find at the end has a relationship to the Metal Men, and having more, you know, being pretty much uh, one of the main guys behind it. So yeah. this is just it, it's there was so much stuff. 
that's seeded throughout all of this that just really makes it a great overarching storyline. And I, 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 I'm digging the heck out of it. You want to go ahead and take a break? Play a promo? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's go ahead and take okay. a break and play a promo, and then we can get back and start on our notes. Okay. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am back. You need to take the trash out. Hey, I'm trying to make a trailer for a podcast. Oh, you mean Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Why, yes, that is what I mean. The show where you and I discuss all things geeky. Comics, TV, movies, books, you name it. Well, are you going to tell them that you can find the show at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com? Well, I think you kind of already did. And that new shows will be posted bi-weekly every two weeks? I was, but you just kind of did that, too. Well, see, now you can go take out the trash. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. Franklin, for the Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast, at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. Breaking in, shaping up, the checking out And we're back. And we're going to start with the cover, as far as notes go. Um, again, like the first issue, it's, it's kind of just a basic pinup cover. We see the six members of the Metal Men with Schwartz leading the pack. Mm-hmm. I, I like the design. Again, McCohen's art is just glorious to look at. He's so detailed. Yeah. Each character has a nice individual look. And I like the way that they have each of the characters' eyes shaded out. It gives it a sort of creepy kind of eerie feel that that these guys might be just typical military you know navy seal type people but there might also be a bit of supernatural or as they mentioned and as we mentioned last episode sort of a paranormal feel to them as well so i like the i like the design on the cover as well it's good good stuff and really from just looking at the cover 
you really don't know where their allegiances lie because I hate to boil it down to good guys and bad guys, but you know they, they are basically good guys in the story, and the the logo it, it's all like um, pieces of of uh, metal kind of connected together to form the words metal man, but then in the upper corner you see a skull. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and there's also no identifiable markings on their uniforms to determine, you know, what army or what nation right. that they're fighting for. So right. you can't tell whether these guys are just sort of like the A team and they work for hire <laughs> or whether they're military, you know, they're United States military or Soviet military, you know. And, and plus, you know, they're obviously taking on the idea of the metal man from the DC universe and being this group of disparate robots or androids or whatever you would call them and uh, placing them here. But, you know, that's the idea behind the tangent universe is taking names that, you know, we're familiar with and mixing them up and putting them in a different way. So uh, I like that. Again, it's, it's well done here. Can you imagine a crossover crossover between the A team and the metal man? Oh, that would like the DC metal man, the robots. Anyway, Hmm. (laughs) that would be interesting as well. Uh, so what do you got for page by page? Okay, well, uh, starting out on the on the first page, again, I cannot say how much I love McCone's art. You know, not only the background of the White House, but all the different characters in here. And once you know what's going on and you get to the end of the book, this page has such such greater meaning. Now, first of all, it's it starts out that you have this group of protesters outside of the White House gates, you know, protesting saying one, two, three, four, no technology anymore. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get the idea that, you know, they're obviously kind of there's a group of people who are down on technology, which is sort of eerily prescient today. I know there's a lot of people who were concerned about, you know, government agencies spying on us and drone technology and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting that this this series, which came out, uh, what, eight? Well, no, what, 97? 97. So, so what, like four, uh, 17 years ago? Yes. Is, is kind of eerily prescient today. But uh, I love the art on this. There are two people here that do kind of stand out uh, in the middle. You can kind of see an obvious analog for Hal Jordan and an obvious analog for Oliver Queen on this page. I mean, it, the, the I don't Queen, think he... I, I caught Oliver Queen, but where's the Hal Jordan? The Hal Jordan is just to his left. The He's got the green vest on. and oh, he's okay. You know he he's an older one, but you know maybe you didn't notice him because he had the the white streaks in his hair. So obviously he's parallax. Well, I think and not this, Al Jordan. I think this goes back to where our our kind of favorite comics lie. But I saw that and saw Perry White. Oh, okay. Well, that so. could that could be you know that that makes sense as well. So, uh, but you, you've also got some people in the background as well that eventually you'll get the idea you know of who these characters are. So, but yeah, there's. There's obviously a divide between people, uh, people who enjoy technology and feel that it's uh, a benefit to society and people who are protesting against it. So, you know, uh, there, there's even more little seeds being set up that I'm hoping will be talked about more throughout the rest of these books. Yeah. Uh, page three, Schwartz makes a comment about why would the president object to having his conversations taped? And this is a question that actually occurred to me with the, uh, the issue last episode. But was Nixon 
president in this universe because we got a pre- we got a reference to Kennedy in the atom. Mm-hmm. And it seems that his assassination happened as normal, which means Johnson would have taken office. But we haven't gotten a specific reference to a president after Kennedy. And as different as the political climate is, you know, if he was elected, did Watergate happen differently or was he not impeached? Vietnam certainly ended differently, which plays a big part in this story. So there's just so much that could be explained here. Not that it needs to be to understand the story, but it just shows the possibilities in this world that they've created, and we're only basically an issue and like two pages in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is kind of interesting. You know, would how would have Nixon fared? You know, with Vietnam going the way that it did. I yeah. mean, with the assassination of Ho Chi Minh, obviously Vietnam didn't carry on into the 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 mid or the early seventies, so would have if johnson or not uh yeah if johnson would have uh proceeded as the next president would he have been able to maintain his presidency rather than have it sort of marred by the way vietnam was going and have nixon be able to come in and take over as president would he have nixon even been elected right so it's it's interesting to to kind of think of how things would you know work out in this universe so maybe, I, we'll, maybe we'll get more explanation of that again not that you need it for this story but mm-hmm. it's just i would you know well and, I'm, I'm interested in the in the larger world and that's and, a testament to the storytelling again yeah that's one of these things where this easily could be mined for more stories and a more series and an ongoing part of this universe you know like like an actual before watchman for the tangent universe right. could be it could be an easily doable thing and could be you know given the right people behind it could be a, a great set of stories mm-hmm. the one thing i had to comment on was again the uh, the seating and the character of lori lamaris obviously the character from the uh, superman titles who uh, you know was known to be a she was a mermaid i don't know whether she was specifically a a denizen of Atlantis, but yes. I'm wondering if in this universe, if you know she's from New Atlantis. If so, that would be kind of a nice bit of a coincidence mm-hmm. there. I um, she made a reference to New Atlantis, but maybe mm, I'm thinking of something else. There, there is a lot of story in here. You know, yeah. despite despite me not having that many notes, there's a lot of story, but there is also a lot of you know just you know people shooting each other as well. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Um, page five, we find out more about Red Tornado. And mm-hmm. I love that they're not making one-to-one translations here because this this is really different from an Elseworlds where people and places are pretty much the same, just re-envisioned for that world. But here, Red Tornado is totally reimagined. You know, instead of an android, he's a chemical weapon or it's mm-hmm. a chemical weapon. So – yeah, I, I like that. That was the thing about the Elseworlds. The Elseworlds was just basically kind of like a what if, and they just changed one particular thing, and that one particular thing messed everything up in the universe. This thing, everything has changed. There's similar people and similar places and similar names, but they don't have to relate to the things that happen in the original DC universe. Right. And I, I like that, and I like the idea that Red Tornado was a horrific chemical weapon that was developed by the Soviets to to, to take out their enemies. So, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Um, on a related note, we learned a little more about Captain Comet. Um, it says he 
Uh, it talks like he was a U.S. hero who was already in Czechoslovakia, and uh, he tried to divert the Red Tornado strike but failed. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think we'll be seeing a little bit more of that. And we'll, uh, if I'm remembering, because I said I read ahead in the last episode, I read ahead to the Green Lantern issue, and I think we'll get a little bit of seeding of Captain Comet's story in that Green Lantern issue. So yes. there'll be more talked about that then. Uh, the only other thing I have about this page, other than it being a really great splash of the metal men, you know, descending out of this uh, this building, but I, I maybe could have used a little more information about the atom just to help this as a standalone. Because if you hadn't read the atom, you might not get why everyone is looking to him to, for to save the day here, basically. But I, that's really kind of a minor minor point. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, this is this can pretty much be taken on its own as a sort of you know standalone war comic, and yeah. it, it's it's along the lines of you know a Sergeant Rock or a Nick Fury, you know type story. So it's it's good stuff. I don't really have any notes until about pages eight and nine. Do you have anything in between there? Yeah, um, on page six, I thought Mars did a good job of introducing these guys. Enough that we care about them, but not bringing the story to a screeching halt at the same time. Mm -hmm. As it talks about in the back matter, the story really focuses on the human side. And if we don't care about these guys, the story is going to fall apart. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they, he he seeds the characters enough that you're interested in them individually, but he doesn't make them. He doesn't spend so much time as you know that you have to get that in in depth into them. He just gives you enough there to make them interesting, and plus, Bacone's art yeah. uh, gives them enough individual characteristics that you can tell one character from the other, and it's. Like I said, it's a great melding of story and art here that just helps propel the story forward. Right. And while we're talking about McCone, I want to give him credit for being able to draw these six guys to not only look different from one another so you can keep them clear throughout the story, but he draws all six guys at two different stages of of their life. Mm -hmm. So, and, And it's clear that Schwartz here is the same Schwartz we saw on the first pages and the same with Moore and, and uh, Holiday and, and the rest. So, and, and that takes some skill to be able to draw people at two different phases of their life and have them look enough alike that you can still tell it's the same person. Oh, exactly. I mean, in if this were something done in live action, like in a TV or in a movie or something, it'd be easy to do makeup effects to right. give them a little aging effect. So that wouldn't be a problem. Doing it in in comics has got to be really difficult because there's you, you don't just gray up their hair like you would, you know, again with Hal Jordan, you know, you've, you've got to give them a, a certain look and McCone does a great job of doing that. And yeah, you can tell that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at page six, that six panel there. You can tell that this is Schwartz. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the same sort of look. He just looks younger. So right. it's great, great art. That said, and I don't know how much we want to keep going back, but the Schwartz here looks different to me than the Schwartz in the Jurgens issue. Yeah, well, I think that's. I mean, you know, they, it's, they I think look it's the same, but you know, well, it's just just a different artist, I guess. Yeah, I think you know, you get a different art artist drawing a different character, drawing the same character you're going to get. 
different takes on it. I mean, right. take a look at you. Know, I would I would point to like the Superman issues. You know, you get John Bogdanov drawing Superman versus uh, you know Dan Jurgens drawing Superman, and you know there's there's a similarity, but there's still that sort of that sort of difference in their styles that gives right. them a, a look that you know you can recognize that this is the same person, but you know stylistically there's just that type of variation between them. Right. Yeah, I mean that, that that's a very minor point. The, the the main point is that Macomb did a great job here. Oh yeah, his work. And my next note is on the two page splash, and again I'm going to just praise Macomb to no end, and not only praise Macomb but kind of praise uh, whoever did the coloring on this because as the tank bursts through on this two page splash, the the light that's coming off the the headlights from the tank and the fire from the uh, automatic weapons there mm-hmm. what's lighting up the lighting up the uh, image here and it's just amazing work it's, here it's just it's a really awesome splash oh yeah and you're just everyone diving from this tank coming in it's just it's gorgeous gorgeous stuff here very detailed you've got the debris and flying everywhere it's just yeah, it's really awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it it's sad that you know maybe this is something that we'll see if we can scan or get an image of and put up on you know the Facebook page or put up on Great Krypton because it's just a wonderful piece of art here. Yeah, page ten. Not to sound nitpicky, but the exchange in the bottom panel feels a little weird given the circumstances. They're cornered by a tank and enemy troops, and it just seems out of place i guess to have this relaxed of a back and forth but Mm -hmm. well it's it's kind of the trope of any sort of war story you know even though you're heavily under fire and things are going down you're going to be able to have you know banter back and forth between the main characters Yeah. yeah it's it's not uncommon for the story in a realistic setting yeah this wouldn't be going on but you take it for a comic book trope and I can let it slide. Yeah. Um, I don't really have too much to say about the next, uh, three or four pages. It's it's basically a big fight scene. Mm -hmm. I've never really been much into war comics. So, you know, and, and real world wise, I was never in the military, so I can't speak to this being realistic or, or unrealistic combat. I kind of feel like the tank exploding in such close quarters would do a lot more damage than we're shown, but other than that, it seems, you know, it seems all right. Yeah, just, well, it's kind of a big fight scene, though. Not only the tank exploding, but the the tank firing a shell in such close quarters, you know, yeah. that would definitely do some damage. But you know, taken for it being a war comic and being sort of not necessarily cartoony, but sort of uh, in that realm of sort of unreality, you can kind of forgive it. So, yeah. But, it's it's good action. It's it's good, oh, yeah. like I said, a team action. So uh, I, I'm willing to forgo it being you know incredibly realistic since it's telling a, an engaging and visually pleasing story. Yeah, and I'm really glad these pages are drawn as a comic book and not just you know four widescreen panels on a page. Because if you if you look back at this fight scene, um, really the past few pages, it, I think it really benefits from being drawn as a comic book. Mm-hmm. Well, it's nice. They switch up between sort of half-page uh, splashes with little panels at the bottom to your more traditional uh, eight-panel grids as well. Right. 
So it's it, it really works in sort of setting it up and uh, doing that sort of quick cuts that you'd get in a like in a TV episode or a movie during this fight scene to sort of ratchet up the tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, page 16, an, <laughs> another – I feel like I'm being really nitpicky, but th- these are really just all minor points. But page uh, 16, I, I think I would have preferred for Raven to either not speak English or speak a rougher version of it given that she's Czechoslovakian. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, that's you, weird, but you don't really get the idea that she has much of an accent, and right. you know that's. Uh, well, no, actually, I was going to say it was Chuck Dixon who wrote an issue of um, what was it, Green Lantern: The New Core, where he introduced a character who was Russian who had a sort of almost uh, not Cyclops but Colossus type accent. Okay. So I was thinking that Ron Mars might be introducing a character that would have a sort of Russian or Czechoslovakian accent as well. But yeah, that it, it doesn't. It doesn't ruin the character for me, but it would have been nice to give her a sort of way to distinguish her other than her just being a part of this underground resistance, giving her a a vocal a, a vocal characteristic that you could define her as being non-American. Right. Uh, the next one I have is until 20. Let's see. I've got one. I've got one on page 19. Uh, the fact that. The president at this time is still smoking cigarettes. Yeah, and you know, I I like the fact that he's from this time where cigarette smoking was still considered to be in norm. And even though people probably would have thought of it as being bad for their health, that it was something that they still did to relieve stress. My my only hope is that the fact that the president smoke isn't the stereotypical indicator that in some way he's evil or corrupt because that always seems to be the way in storytelling of this type. If a person smokes, there's that possibility that they have something going on in their past that's negative or evil or corrupt, or they have ties to something corrupt. So I'm hoping that's not the case. I kind of have a note along those lines towards the end of the issue. Okay. So keep that in mind, and we'll come back to it. Not a problem. I, it did make me laugh, though, that the cigarettes are brand Dr. Light. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's hope that these cigarettes don't eventually go to, you know, her murder and rape suit. Did. Oh, too soon? Yeah. Well, that won't happen in this universe, thankfully. Thankfully, yeah. thankfully he married Raven and not Sue Didney. Yes. Oh, thank you. Um, page twenty. I think I know where your note's going to be. That the fact that the the red tornado warheads can be disassembled by children. <laughs> well, not well. Not only that, but the, the 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 child and what the red tornado virus does to people is just. Uh, this scene is not gory or no. horrific. In any way, you just see a young child with her head and eyes bandaged, and they mentioned that she has burn marks or she has burns over what, like seventy percent of her body yeah. because of the virus. Yeah, and obviously that's a horrific thing. But the most horrific part of it, and the part that you know honestly gets me, even right now looking at now, is that third panel where the girl's just sitting there, her her head bandaged and her eyes bandaged. And she's calling out for her dog. She's calling yeah. out the name of the dog, Pooch. And I holy cow, is that 
a giant punch in the gut selling just the horror of this this attack and how terrible this red tornado thing is it's yeah. it, 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 it again mars does a great job at selling the emotion in this i had a very similar note it, it punches you right in the feels as the kids might say today mm-hmm. yeah it's it, you know it 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 doesn't have to be graphic. You don't have to see people with limbs blown off or, no. you know, uh, incredible gory burns and parts of their anatomy missing. Just this one little girl here just sitting here bandaged and calling out for her dog that that you know died because it found this toxic warhead is just – it completely sells the tragedy and the the – the loss that happens yeah. from these types of things. Just amazing. Skipping ahead to page 23, I just want to point out that St. Vitus Cathedral is a real place in Prague. It was built in the 14th century. And with so much of the Tangent Universe grounded in real places, you know, Cuba and Florida getting nuked and, and so on, Now, I'm glad that they're using real landmarks as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, helps, it helps not only distinguish it by making it you know different, but it also grounds it in in a sense of reality. Yeah. And like I said, with the with the little kid and the horrors of of her getting you know hit by this virus, which I'm certain that many people would uh, you know uh, compare to say Agent Orange and stuff like that. You know, we're we're getting reality set in this book that's essentially supposed to be a, a high fantasy as well. So it's a nice melding of those two types of storytelling here. Right. Pages 24 and 25, this is where the story kind of started to fall apart a little bit for me, as we haven't really gotten enough understanding of the relationship between these guys, especially Schwartz and Moore, to get the full gravity of, of the, uh, the conflict here. And two, if these guys served together for as long as the story tells us they have, and they looked at Moore as kind of a, a big brother type figure... It seems odd that they'd be surprised by such a deep philosophical divide between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this is, again, one of those things that could could be fleshed out in an ongoing series or in more, you know, more stories dealing with these characters. You know, you've got this sort of seeding of, you know, these people are a tight-knit group. These people are uh, people who have a, a very close-knit relationship, but suddenly you know it's completely divided because of this one person's desire to end the war in his own way so again it's it's why i i so far i would like to see more of this stuff be printed and more of this stuff you know be tapped at uh, dc comics for uh, different comics it also seems strange to me that powell who were told earlier in the issue is the guy that had his family killed when when florida was nuked is not only the first to take a side, but does it based only on the fact that he gets paid to follow orders. And of all these guys, you think he'd have the biggest problem with civi- civilian casualties. But mm-hmm. now, again, maybe a little bit of a little bit of sloppy story writing. But you know, uh, so, so well, I mean, far not, this would be the only nitpicky bit. Not necessarily sloppy storytelling. It just, I, I you never know how people are going to react to things. So true. But it, true. it just struck me as weird. Uh, skipping ahead to page 27, well, 27 through 29, another combat scene. And even though this one is a lot shorter, 
it feels a lot more brutal than the other. Uh, nobody gets out unscathed, and from the art, I really get the sense that they're in a very brutal close quarters fight. Mm-hmm. It is. I think it's very different, and it's actually. I think the thing that makes it more visceral is the fact that it's not an armored vehicle they're going up against. It's actual people who are right. coming in and shooting them. So you get that more personal feel. They're not taking on a big tank. They're not taking on a giant machine. It's actual hand-to-hand combat, which is which is always – it's more gut-wrenching. It's more personal. So, yeah. And the guy that did the lettering really made his money on this book with all the <laughs> there, gun sound effects. Yes, there are tons. I, you know, I, I didn't even mention that in the first attack. There, are that, that that page where it's the eight panel grid. Half of the pages are, you know, taken up by sounds of brap right. and you know gunfire. So yeah, you know, whoever's doing the onomatopoeia and the the lettering for this is, you know, he's got his job cut out for him. And then I don't have anything until thirty-two. Yeah, yeah 32. that is where that is where my next note is. Okay, so go ahead. Um, I said throughout the throughout the telling of the story here, there were tiny little fabrications of the truth, but it's in this sequence and it's completely different from what happened that we get the standoff between Mark and Sam, and it not being the soldier who killed him, but it was actually Raven, and it's interesting that. The president, President Schwartz, told the reporter and kept the lie going that it wasn't his wife who killed him and saved him, but it was some soldier. And I, I like that there's that sort of hint of conspiracy behind him, but it's also that hint of him trusting this person, trusting his wife, you know, to to keep this from ever coming out. Right. So, so, so there's there's darker plot elements. There's a sort of well, the 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 title of this story was Secrets and Lies, and it's sort of made evident here. You know, there's not really the truth coming out in this, and there are secrets of lies being placed in this story. The whole universe is based on lies. It seems <laughs> Pretty like. much. Uh, my other note for this these two pages was that it, another compliment for Mike McCone. because page 32 is just a series of panels and as we get closer and closer in on the guns. And the next-to-last panel shows Schwartz's gun, and his finger has moved off the trigger because he he can't, you know, find it in himself to to shoot his friend. And then you jump over to page 33, and he's lowered his gun somewhat, and that's when the final shot comes, or the the fatal shot comes out. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly clear from the art, even without going to panel 2 on page 33, that Schwartz was not the one who fired the shot, and I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And you can also see uh, in the progression of panels on page thirty-two that that Moore is is ready to pull that because you see the trigger or the trigger mechanism on his gun even pulling back, and he hasn't oh. taken his finger off the trigger. So it looks like he is definitely going to shoot. He's going to shoot Schwartz if he had the opportunity, and if it yeah. weren't for Raven coming up behind him and shooting him, Schwartz would be the one who was who was dead in this situation. So. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. With the, yeah, yeah. You know, you can see it sort of slowly, slowly clicking back a little bit more. The angle getting a bit more, and hit, it looks like his finger tensing a bit more. Some some more space coming in between the trigger and the uh, the outside. I I don't know guns. Yeah, me either. <laughs> so I read comics. That's uh, true. Page thirty four. This is what I was talking about earlier with the cigarettes because 
Schwartz puts out a cigarette here where earlier he lit it just as he started sort of the more, uh, let's say, purified elements of the story. So it's just a very subtle cue in the art that, you know, what you're hearing may not be exactly the truth. Mm-hmm. That that That's really interesting that, you know, he lights the cigarette at the point in time where the truth of the story kind of gets muddled in with his version of the story. Right. So I, I, I like that. Yeah, that's I, I didn't catch that as well, but that's that's a good way to sort of see that there's a delineation point between when the actual what was actually going on and what uh, the president is telling this reporter. It's delineated by when he starts a cigarette and when he ends it and people kind of getting the idea that smoking is a bad thing and smoking re- relates to things being shifty or people being deceitful. So I, I didn't notice that, but that's a good catch. He's not evil, but but well, shifty. Uh, he's not, not, he's not being straight, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, it's, not, it's not evil, but he's just not being completely honest. Right. So. Page 35, it might seem like Schwartz is being vague, and he is, but lucky for us, the readers, this isn't the last we'll see of any of these guys. Oh, cool. That'll be it'll be interesting to see what comes of these characters. Yeah, it's, it's nice. And, and again, this harkens back to that first panel. You know, we didn't know who some of these characters were. I mean, yes, obviously we could we could guess that one of those characters was Oliver Queen, which which wouldn't be you know uh, wouldn't be unheard of. Oliver Queen protesting something that the government is doing. Right. But we also see, you know, we also see. Uh, is that Quinones and uh, Powell out in front as well? Yes. And uh, Quinones is obviously very adamant about uh, fighting these people, while Powell is just sort of sedately standing there. So it's 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 incredibly good seating, and it's an incredibly good bookend for this story. And uh, he's got some kind of green glow about him too. I'm not remembering what that is. Yeah, I'm noticing that on his lapel here. He's got some sort of I don't know, a pin or maybe something in his pocket mm-hmm. that does have a sort of kind of glow to it. So, you know, maybe that'll be, maybe again, that's something that they're seeding here that we'll, you know, find out more about in later books. Yeah. Page 36, Raven comes in, very evocative of Jackie Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I can't think that that's a coincidence. No, not at all. I'm certain that's that's kind of the way she's supposed to look. And again, you know, not only did uh, McCone do a good job of drawing, you know, the male characters as uh, as aging, but he also does a good job of drawing her as aging as well. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. really really wonderful art here. And it while we're kind of talking about clothing, um, much of the clothing that throughout the last two issues we've looked at has been very late '60s, early to mid '70s, and I love that they're taking that as yet another step in forming this world. You know. Well, they're obviously homaging a lot of the stuff that happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Kennedys and that sort of feel. Yeah. And well, I don't mean necessarily just in the flashbacks, but like if you look back at the, uh, well, I guess the, the opening splash to this isn't such a good example, but the like the ending of the last issue mm-hmm. with the people in the streets and stuff. You know, it it, it doesn't feel like nineteen late nineteen nineties fashion. Well, it it gets that sort of. 
that sort of retro futuristic feel, you know, that kind of feel that you got in I want to say the the first Tim Burton Batman movie, that sort of gothic feel that felt very out of place but also felt very normal at the same time right. and you know what you'd also get in some of the animated series like uh you know the batman the animated series where you'd get you know these archaic type computers and you know the city being surrounded by dirigibles watching things but uh the cars and everything would be very futuristic and the characters clothing would be very modern as well right. so I, I like the sort of retro futuristic feel of it so do you think that schwartz knows that more is alive the way the dialogue is, it's kind of ambiguous. I've got to kind of assume since he left him there, he may know or may have an idea that he's possibly alive. But the fact that Moore is supposedly the part of the shadowy you know, agency known as Nightwing, that he's not 100% certain. So, Who now seemingly have the warhead or yeah, a was, warhead yeah he, yeah the fact that he's got you know right on his desk there a, a giant warhead that could possibly have an incredibly toxic nerve agent in it you know that's yeah, it's just a paperweight that's true maybe he had it maybe he had it removed and it's just a yeah like you said a paperweight to remind him of the good old days yeah. you know uh, one more note for page 37 when uh, the first lady comes in they're talking about their day and whatever, and, and Schwartz makes a comment about Ed Manson's house burning down. I, I think we'll learn more about him in a future issue, so that's maybe not as random as it seems, but even if we don't, I, I kind of like it that it's just an offhand remark that a husband would make to a wife about you know somebody they know that doesn't have anything else to do with what's going on right then. It's just, what happened today? Oh, you know, Ed Manson did this. Mm-hmm. And also we get seedings of uh, a character that... Uh what is it, the People's Republic of China has, a yes. uh, person that they call Supergirl. Supergirl. So we'll, uh, we'll be getting to her later in some of these issues as well. Yep. So, But yeah, overall, uh, for a war comic, which, you know, generally I'm, you know, I really am not, uh, well, not say a fan of, but I'm just not that knowledgeable of, this was incredibly engaging, incredibly enjoyable. The art was brilliant and the storytelling was was wonderful i you know again another knock it out of the park comic here yeah i didn't enjoy it as much as the adam issue but a lot of that's on me because like you i've never been super into war books but i think writing wise though it was it was nearly as good as that one Um, well the adam had the benefit of being the story to lay out the universe and so it was able to seed all these wonderful little little things that would, you know, we'd be getting into this. This was, you know, chapter two of the story. So it it was good on its own. Right. But, you know, I think the Adams succeeded in, you know, setting up everything. Right. And this one does too. I mean, it, it, it gave us a solid standalone issue, but it also lays a lot of foundation for the world that, that makes me want to see more of it. And I, and I want to see more of these characters, even, if it's not going forward with the story we're going to get here, you know, just their background and, and other events in their lives. Mm-hmm. If DC ever wants to revisit the concept. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you know, we, we could probably hope and pray for that to happen, but yeah, well, yeah, the it's way, probably not going to happen, but DC's going. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed this next time out. We've got, uh, we've got an issue that should be near and dear to my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about green lantern. Yeah. 
and it's uh, much like most of this, uh, most most of the characters in this Tangent universe. It is a very different role than the Green Lantern that we've come to know and love. So, again, I, I like I said, I've I've read ahead a little, and I know what's coming on with it. So, I'm looking forward to covering that. Yep, me too. And I hope you'll, all you listeners out there, I hope you'll be back. Uh, be sure to write in. Or the email address is in the uh, the end tags there, but it's tangent at greatcrypton.com. Let us know what you think of the stories, and we'll definitely be reading emails on future episodes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, keep those emails coming or start those emails coming. And, uh, you know, if you are on Facebook, we do have a profile on there. So if you'd like to go like our show on Facebook, we'd love to have ha- Blah. We'd love to hear you do that, or we'd love to see you do that. Someday I'm going to learn how to speak. You know, you would think, you know, a hundred and so episodes of podcast, I'd be able to manage, manage to string a couple of worlds together, but I need more coffee, I guess. Well, I think that's it, though. So we will talk to you all next time. Bye, everyone. Just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, GreatCrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It can also be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one. All reviews help more people to find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about these books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Well, then you can email us at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your emails on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. Plus, he hosts a blog about the Man of Steel's creators, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, called Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, both of which you can find over at GreatCrypton.com. And Sean hosts a Green Lantern podcast focusing on Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, called Just One of the Guys. He's also a guest host on Walking Dead Wednesdays, a Walking Dead podcast, and Who True Freaks, a Doctor Who podcast. And all these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. (laughs) ¶¶